Hi, my name is Tracy G and I'm an inner work coach, NLP trainer and podcaster extraordinaire. Passionate about equality and a world that is more diverse and inclusive, giving each and every one of us the opportunity to be the best version of ourselves. As a biracial woman, I've experienced my fair share of discrimination in the past and come out on top. We all know that discrimination and bias still exists in the world today, and it's not always easy to know what to do about it. This podcast, All One Inclusive, is about celebrating all diversity and being proud of all that you are. I chat with inspiring guests and my friends as we share stories from news sources and listeners from all over the world who have experienced some form of discrimination firsthand. The aim is for us to be able to discuss this issue more openly so it becomes better understood by all and provide tips about what you can do to make a difference. The world may have a lot of catching up to do, but if we can imagine a more equal world, we can create change step by step, ripple by ripple. Hi, hi y'all. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How's it going? How's your week been? It's been great. I had a few days off, so that was lovely. Um, tried new hot pot place, which was amazing. Oh, did you make you see, we not making a hot pot the other week? We did. <laughs> Clearly, we didn't have enough hot pot because then we went out somewhere else to have more hot pot. Um, and after that, we went out for dessert. And there were four of us. And oh, oh, sorry. That's fine. Go on. <laughs> we ordered so much dessert that the staff of the place where we ordered dessert came out and they took a picture and we were all like, and then she walked off with the phone and the, we were like confused because we're like, whose phone did she just take? And it turned out it wasn't our phones at all. <laughs> we were just amused by how much dessert we had ordered huh? that they took a picture of us with the dessert. Oh, that's hilarious. Wow. That is that's really nice. funny. Oh, dear. Yeah, what have... level, but... mm. And mm. how was your week? Well, what did I do? All right. Lots of things. Uh, I did a lot of salsa dancing yes. over the last few days. That was it. So a lot of salsa dancing, which has been really fun. Um, and then um, catching up with a few friends. That's about it last week and looking for stories Mm, yes trying to find some more more on the positive side Mm. of stories which we struggled with this week I think so yes it's Mm. been a tough week so I've picked this story Mm. that's quite interesting the headline is Chinese women face a complex homecoming after studying in Australia now there is a lot of Chinese um students here yes compared to like the uk the uk there's not as not that's not a thing the students are not from china uh in the uk actually i'm just thinking in the uk there must have been a lot of african that's how my dad ended up in the uk so a lot of african students um that population um, i wonder what it is now it's usually a massive um you know immigration of students from certain countries Mm-hmm. I do wonder. But anyway, Chinese women face a complex homecoming after studying in Australia. And this is about a, 
a lady that's not real. This is not her name. Li Feng. Li Fang. That's not her real name. She turned to China after studying at university in both Australia and in New Zealand. <clears throat> she didn't think she changed. But her family and friends soon noticed. She says, people around me thought I was different. Mm. I asked them, what's the difference? And they said, sometimes your opinions and your speaking style are very direct. And then she says here, in hindsight, she agrees. She thinks her personality changed a lot after going abroad. She says, I like freedom. I like independence. And it wasn't just a close family that noticed. She did an internship with the Chinese government. And nobody there had an international background. And she says, everyone there is quiet. No one speaks or speaks up about anything. Everyone just follows, she says. So when you come back to China and you're not used to this, people around you think you're strange. Can I ask you a question? Sorry yeah. To interrupt. Go. But do you find Australians to be, you know, quite direct people compared to, well, obviously the UK? Compared to the UK? No, I think mm. I'd say UK people were more direct. I don't know where they have this. There's this kind of um, idea that UK are really conservative and and not as direct, I guess. Mm. Up stiff of a lip, um, not showing emotions. Yeah. You know, maybe the royal family, yeah, but not general public. Mm. I would say they're way more direct. And I miss that. Mm. And I notice it actually. Yeah, I would imagine. I think you notice it. And I think I didn't realize until I met our European friends and compared, you know, how direct they were to, you know, Australians who, I guess, you know, uh, compared to the Chinese are are direct. But when you look at the scale, I think Australians are not really very direct. I mean, they're not like how the Chinese end, mm. where obviously this lady's talking about how direct, how, you know, direct the Chinese are not. But compared to Brits, I'd say Brits are way more direct. Mm. And Americans are like up there again. You know, Americans are at that end, I'd yeah. say. Mm, yeah. uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. All relative exactly. on the scale of directness. But anyway, mm. um, she finds herself changed after studying in Australia. And some women chart a new course for themselves back in their home country. And now there's a they've consulted an expert, Fran Martin, as an associate professor at the University of Melbourne, who completed a five-year study where she followed a group of 56 Chinese women who studied at university in Australia, including Lee, the person in the story. So women students make up a majority of the students that come to us from China, Dr. Martin tells. Students. Yeah, women. Many of them find meaningful experience in terms of their personal subjective sense of themselves and for their plans in their life as women. They may pivot or reorient as a result of being away from social and familial surveillance at home and living somewhat independently here in Australian cities. Mm. But I'd say that's, and that's another difference between Australia and UK. Mm. We, when we generally, and I'm speaking, being generalizing here, Mm. people move away from home. So they're not under the supervision, surveillance of family Mm. and, you know, the community. Yeah, they're completely removed and have to and are free to kind of form their own. I'm going to say form their own personality, but that's 
evolve the personality without that inf directly direct influence. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of makes a difference in how you grow as a person. I mean, it's not the, I'm not saying you can't do it if you don't do that. I'm just mm -hmm. saying that's one of the, you know, the consequences that happens if you do that. I don't and, think um, Australians move much. Don't. I mean, we love, I think Australians and we, we love to travel. Mm. I think that's thing, but we don't, I think our home base doesn't change very much unless there are obviously people who move to the UK and like to stay in the UK and things oh, like that. Or move to like, different states. It's just interesting. I think yeah. that opportunity, I don't think it's specific. Obviously, we're talking about these Chinese women that study in Australia being removed from the society, mm -hmm. the, the society, the familial surveillance, as they say here. But it's typical in the UK as well. Although yeah. that's not such a culture difference. It's not really the same because, you know, you're moving to another, you're moving to another city. You're yeah. not moving to the other side of the world in a completely different culture and language. So it's not quite Imagine the, the freedom that they notice in Australian society versus in back home in Chinese society would be completely new and yeah, well, this is the thing. She says, you know, there's, there's you, participants in this test that she did, a survey, spoke about getting a kind of tolerance or understanding of a non-standard ways of living. Yeah. So whether or not you do these yourselves, you'll see others do it. From dyeing your hair blue mm -hmm. to cohabiting with partners before marriage, to not having a standard wife and family life plan. Mm. So these are new ideas and values that collide with the more conservative reality back in China. Yeah. And they experience this from returning to the family home through broader state and cultural pressures of both. You know, they're thinking, they, so they graduate and thinking, what we're going to do as an adult, and they go back to China and they hear, when are we getting grandchildren? Yeah, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, jeez. A line I can sympathise with. Mm. But, again, it's, it's it's international, but a women thing. Um, oh, this is so funny, right? Um, this guy I used to work with, young guy, and he joke about it because he was married. I think he, he was a, he's, it was like a young marriage. Maybe they married five years or something. And he said this same thing, you know, constantly when you see our in-laws, oh, so mm -hmm. when are you getting, when are you, when are you having, when are you having children, when are you having kids, mm -hmm. when are we getting grandchildren? Mm -hmm. And do you know what he said? He says, he says to them, you can't, you can't get pregnant the way <laughs> we do it. Oh my gosh. I, yeah. He says that, sh that, sh that totally shuts them up. I was like, <laughs> I love it. That's so funny. Anyway. I love it too. I would not try it on my parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Would you, would you say that? Anyway, sorry. I digress. So there's a bit of a paradox, this student saying. There's a paradox as you go back to China. Because generally Chinese public culture and the parent culture has encouraged them to strongly mm. towards professional careers mm. and a high level of education. But then there is this renewed and intense pressure on women in their mid-20s to reorient suddenly towards marriage, children, and family care. Mm. So these women come back with these valuable degrees, but then they're thrown back into this sort of neo-traditional sense of what a woman's role and identity should be as, you know, 
She's in her twenties. And then the other thing is the com- competition for professional jobs, which is huge in China because you know such a, a large population. Mm-hmm. Versus here, where we don't have that population density, so it's not as fierce. Mm-hmm. Mm. But yeah, she goes on to say, you know, extended family or family members will say, when are you getting married? When are we getting grandchildren? And actually, I didn't know this, but apparently China pushing for people to have more children. Yeah, a lot of the Asian countries are Japan, China, I think Taiwan, the same thing with um, there's a decrease in their birth rates across the board. So they're um they're doing lots of different kinds of things to try and combat it so okay that's interesting right so the pressure that increases the pressure then um you know women that have been educated um overseas to have children get married and have children Mm -hmm. Um, what would you say to someone who's struggling with that though what do you mean struggling with what what to figure out your like you were saying in the article, right? I think many women can can sympathize with that. That you're told from an early age that oh, you should achieve. You know, you need to get a degree and get a job and whatever. And then it suddenly changes to wait, we don't care about all that much. We care about you, you know, having children. Kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mum and like it's not. It's weird that people think you can just switch from like it is to another, right? And I just, oh, I, I, I'm going to digress again. Gets me into, I had this argument with a guy last week. Oh, oh let's not call it an argument. Let's call it a healthy debate. Right. right. So this random guy I met in the, in the pub, and he was he was really interested in my friend, like, romantically. And, he, and, and we were saying to her, oh, give him a chance, you know, kind mm-hmm. of be nice. And he, and then he, me and him were just talking. Mm. now he's showing me like telling me what he does for a living how he earns his money and things mm. and um what was he I don't know I'm just trying to remember how we got into this conversation it was about he said on the one hand he said oh, oh I like really I like her she's really strong so this my friend she's mm. she's very smart she's strong and she's driven professional woman and she's only in the 20s not even 30 yet like yeah. it's a very impressive lady and um he said, I like her. And then he and then he said, Oh, well, that was it. She doesn't need to buy. I don't know if it's about buying drinks or something. Or she doesn't need to buy her. a man should the man should look after the woman or something. Mm. And then he was talking. And then we so I goes, Oh, what do you mean? You know, we got talking about that. I was like, Do you want a do you want a strong and smart woman? Yeah. Or do you want a woman? I'm not saying that there's the opposite is for women that don't mm. um want to work or anything I'm not saying they're not smart or strong mm-hmm. I'm just saying they're less likely to want to not have a have a work or a career yeah that's what I'm saying and he's like oh no once the man has to oh that was it the man has to be the breadwinner that's what he said he has to earn the most he's like the man would die not he was like so like he would die this is the kind of words he was using <laughs> And I'm just like, what? So we had this massive argument. Oh my God. And then, then he, and I'm just like, but I said, that's, I said, it's beautiful. That's how you feel. I, I wouldn't say you speak for all men, but for yourself, if you're so passionate about, you know, being able to, what's the word, provide for your family, whether that's your, you know, immediate or 
extended brilliant good for you I said but what if you meet a woman who has the same desire mm, it's yeah. the same drive mm. and, and wants children as you clearly do mm. what what then and he's like well she doesn't need to work I was like it's not about needing to work <laughs> it's about wanting to work no. so, but it's, yeah, it's, exactly. it's not possible for the man to stay at home and then he's and then I was like well, why not there is men that Mm-mm. would like to do that yeah. and, and we're just having this massive argument and then he, he's trying to give me evidence and he was like you go into childcare. you go into childcare. how many men do you see working there looking after children this was his argument Jeez. I was like uh mm-hmm. not very many maybe even none mm-hmm. I don't understand your point though you know we were having this massive debate oh actually on a side note wasn't yeah. it um wasn't it the Harry Potter writer I forgot her name Anyway, JK Rowling. Yeah, JK Rowling, of course. Didn't she come out like a few months ago saying that she would never allow, as if it's up to her, but she would never allow like a man to like, you know, be a child, you know, an early childhood person, like a, um, because they, they, they're all just, you know, looking to abuse children or something. It was really random. Oh, did she say something like that? That's yeah. a terrible thing to say, and that's not true. Exactly. That's, that's, that's a really bad bias. Yeah. It's a terrible bias to have. But anyway, he that wasn't even the point he was making. Yeah. The point he was trying to make was that he was talking about caring for children, how only women could do it, mm. is essentially what he was getting at. Which is crazy. Uh, and I was just like, okay. We need to stop this conversation because we ain't going to agree, and that's okay. But know this: mm-hmm. a woman, this is not the woman you're going to marry mm-hmm. with your attitude. Exactly. <laughs> this is basically what I was saying. So back back to the story. Back to the story. Um. All right. Oh, she's she was. They're talking about um. There are some conservative voices in China that criticize young women who have studied abroad. And there are stereotypes in some of the online forums saying, well, would you marry a woman who's come back from studying in the West? Or would she be corrupted by the loose sexuality that we see in Western cultures? Oh, my gosh. It's so interesting, though, right? Um this, this lady is a master's degree in Melbourne and PhD in New Zealand. And she's been back in China throughout the whole pandemic. But she doesn't know what she's going to do next. And she says she's lucky because her parents are more open-minded than others. Mm. Um, And there are definitely broader societal expectations and pressures around marriage. She Mm. says people think a woman should be married at the age of 25 or 26. (laughs) She's 29. And she says some people may think she's becoming a leftover lady. Oh, I am so <laughs> left over. I am so left over. You, you and me both. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's that's tight timeline, isn't it? Yeah, I'm a leftover lady. She says, uh, returned international students have high requirements for partners. Mm-hmm. So the women that are going back have high requirements. Mm-hmm. They want to find a boyfriend who's not only stayed in China, but has also had similar overseas experiences. Mm. She doesn't want to compare women's rights and gender equality in Australia. I don't think it's a good idea to compare to China. She says women, a lot of Chinese women will often give up their jobs when they get pregnant. I remember, actually, I remember putting my foot in it. Um, I went to Japan on a work 
work um, yeah. trip, um, the business trip. Mm-hmm. And I was meeting and the Japanese managers took me for dinner. And, you know, I was, almost had a like a minder in a good way. Like, you know, show me around. His English was good and I can ask him questions. And he worked, you know, worked there professionally. And um, we were just, we went for lunch and I and just chatting to him and asked him what his wife did and he said she what did he say like she I don't know if he said she stays at home and she looks after the kids but it was because he didn't actually answer me properly so I was like so I had to kind of question it and pull it out of him and then I was like and then I felt embarrassed because I was like it was like, oh, oh, right. I didn't mean to, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I must have asked a question in a way that assumed she had a career. Yes. I think I must have had this assumption. And she didn't. She'd stopped working when she ha- had children. Mm-hmm. But his children were like, I was like, oh, how old are your children? Thinking he had young kids, but they weren't. They were oh. a lot older. And I just really felt like I put my foot in it. But what I noticed there was hardly any women. The only women working in that office so it must be the thing in Japan. The only thing women work in the office were like secretaries and young. Yeah. They were all, whereas it's complete flipped on its head to here. It's mostly women in those roles. Yeah. It was quite yeah. interesting. It's really surreal. Mm. Uh, interesting. Um, but anyway, she says, she, but what she really noticed in Australia when she was here is around gen around gender was about men she says in australia you see many many dads having the baby with them she says yep. but in china it's still the woman the woman who should bring up the children it's traditional the man should earn the money and the women should bring up the children and do everything for the family um and she says i think it's not that fair actually it's like yeah, yeah. um and then she she goes on to say one of the biggest challenges is negotiating professional opportunities and expectations. Mm. Um, and then that's great competition. And what else does she say? Some returning students had to go abroad again for a temporary or a more permanent move to find a better life. What else? She says, but some women simply roll over. So you have young, educated, urban, middle-class women. She says, but there's, there is a, amongst these, there's women, and there's some popular feminism running through their way of thinking, and they speak to each other. They find ways of thinking and acting differently. Hmm. But yeah, there's restrictions across Chinese social media, and different opinions about gender are not shut down. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So basically that's interesting because it's not it's not even a societal expectation that's unique to China, is it? I mean it's a bit more ex- mm-hmm. extreme, popular, how we describe it in China. Mm. No, I don't think so. I think there are lots of similar cultures all over the world. I just don't understand what I might, I'm going to be saying something really controversial here. Why is it so important that you have to have children unless you want to? Yeah, exactly. Why is that? Why do we need to just, the, there's enough people in the world. Mm. And of course you need a certain population rate for the continuation mm. of mankind. Yeah. But everybody, every single person does not need to have children. 
Well, I mean, from, from my way of thinking, I reckon you can solve some of the population issues by um, working together in the world and helping people migrate, you know, from very um, densely populated places to less densely populated yeah. True. And that tends to happen naturally, but so many countries are like averse to immigration. Exactly. Like that's how Brexit happened. Yeah. And uh, probably how your lady in Italy got in. Mm. Um so many people are averse to that. Yeah, exactly. It's it's really bizarre. But um yeah. It and sometimes I think if you grow up with that pressure, you can't even tell if you really want kids or if it's we just... don't think about it. Yeah. It's probably just autumn it's like unconscious so this is this is the thing about bias it can be internal as well yeah on yourself like you can just not question it because the expectation's always been there yeah. I mean I've had to ask myself that question about whether I want kids is it do I want kids or has it been something I've just grown up it's grown up as a as a thing yes that you must or have to do yeah. and so by by therefore I must have kids and I've had to question that a lot in the years Mm. of whether that's an internal bias that I have for myself or not Mm. I think it's and well there's the other side of that as well about what about the women that can't have children exactly that is so much pressure and I just it's just such a terrible position to be in I just think we shouldn't yeah for anybody under that kind of pressure well and then feeling as if you're a failure or you haven't achieved life's purpose or something yeah because that marker is so important you know mm-hmm. well yeah it's like the ident- your identity as a woman is defined mm-hmm. by having children yeah exactly and I wonder if the same pressure is for men right well probably yeah to to have kids and yeah mm-hmm. And like at the minute, I'm still flicking. I'm still flicking left if they don't want children. <laughs> but I'm gonna have to start. <laughs> start reconsidering. Start reconsidering that. Um, yeah, I'm gonna have to start reconsidering that. But it's interesting how many young young mm. men don't don't want to have children. Actually, I'm seeing on the um, dating apps. Yeah, I know. Um... But I'd say there's more men than women. Yes. I mean, I don't know. I can't quantify that at all. I just It's just a feeling. There's more men than women that don't want children. Hmm. Well, I think most of the women I've met, I don't think I've ever met anyone who's like 100% I don't want kids or whatever. I think, well, it's definitely a conditioning. Yes, exactly. It's definitely a conditioning that we have. Yeah. And um, I actually reminded me of a friend of mine, one of my closest friends, um Rani you met her you remember you met her online yeah I think I did yeah yeah yeah. she swore she was one of these people I'm never having kids right yes very very firm in our (laughs) 20s yes Mm, married two kids yeah very happy loves their children to bits so very interesting Mm. that that she's the only person am I oh no there's I've met women didn't who said they didn't want children but changed the mind. I have, I think so. yeah. yeah, but it's definitely a pressure people could do without. I'm not even just talking about women, yeah, men as well. But the problem with this is that these women that may want to have make different life choices mm. are being pressured to conform to this old idea that they need to 
stop working. At least you get to live a little when you're, oh, I'm making it sound yeah. terrible, but, yeah, I don't know, experience something different mm. at least. But. I just don't see how you can have a taste of that freedom and then go back, but some women obviously do. Well, I guess it's what well, it might be that push and pull of what I need to achieve, right? Mm. Degree and whatever. So now I need to get married and have kids. But some, you know, form of rejection, disapproval, mm. disappointment, because disappointment for some people inside their psyche, disappointing your parents means that you, you know, has that sense of you're going to be loved less. Mm. Yeah. Yeah that you know equals love and it's something that you can I just think people maybe question more what they really want yeah outside of because at the end of the day it's your life you know you've got to live it true but I think maybe some people find it easier just to conform because some people no idea (laughs) it's okay are you talking about anybody in particular me no, not at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. What, what, what could be easier though? Is it really, I think it would take so much energy to go against anything you really want to do. Yeah, I but say, you've been doing it forever, then it doesn't take as much. It's like the baseline normal. Mm. You know, if you've always really been doing what other people Yeah, do. true. You're right. So you well, don't, it's actually then harder to go the other way, isn't it? true but the what does that cost you though yeah that's the thing but I think if you don't have the exposure you won't know right so in that article the women know because they've been outside of China you know they've experienced other things Mm. whereas there must be so many other women in China who are doing you know studying in China doing all the degrees in China and then going yes I'll happily give up my you know my career and everything because now I have to get married and have children. Mm. And they don't know any different. It's just really interesting to see what happens when you take someone out of their culture and society, Mm. put them in another one. It's completely different. Mm. I'm trying to think of if I've ever felt, have you ever felt like you've been in that situation, even temporarily? Like a clash of cultures or something? Yeah. Well, yeah, like it's hard not to, like for any immigrant, I think. Yeah, I'm just thinking when I went to Africa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, because obviously I raised us in the West, in this Western world with <laughs> sin and whatever yeah. else it has going on. Um, I remember meeting my brother who'd never met because of my, my brother from another mother, literally. <laughs> <laughs> and um he met we met for the first time we were teenagers and he's asking me why I dress the way I dress which was like a boy because I would wear like jeans shorts and things which to him was like a boy and I get why he thought that because women there wore the the traditional clothes which is generally like kind of like a dress but not really similar to like a sari but the African version yeah um so so those are some of the questions he had for me um and Jess 
but but then even I just remember it's been such a culture shock but then even the same similarly like this in China women mm. yes can be educated and it was good to be educated but you you were expected to look after the home and look after the have the kids and look after the kids that this is pretty much as far as I can tell it's the same that was at the time you were expected to do that you mm. could work and you could be successful but at some point you had to stop mm. Mm. you've reached your limit yeah you had to look after the children mm. yeah interesting so you never had anything similar experience oh uh, yeah I mean of course think most people with my background it's the same uh, actually very mirrored when it comes to the 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 Chinese women and their thing so it was the same thing the expectation from when I was younger was obviously you're going to get a degree that's like the minimum an undergraduate degree is a minimum you know um, where possible a master's which I have to but anyway so obviously I was very career focused you know uni and, and working and I liked work but of course, you reach that 25, you know, whatever. And actually, I think for me, it was a little bit younger because I um, I finished uni at like 22 or something. Mm. So, and then everybody was like, right, let's get ma- let's get you married. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was very, very, you know, it was very difficult. I think or not well, I don't know if it's difficult, but it was it was quite the different, you know switch which I obviously did not manage um even though oh, I, how did you manage it well I mean I just never took it seriously because it wasn't you know it wasn't really I guess what I wanted and even when I had like a thousand dates <laughs> you know it just I couldn't picture myself married you know and and the, you know all of that so and obviously I didn't meet anyone who I thought I could marry so yeah so when you say you didn't picture yourself married what we what were you what was your belief about what that would be like well obviously I have my parents marriage to compare that to but is that what you felt that you would be expected to have like what were you you know when you said you didn't your words were I didn't envision myself Mm. I couldn't envision myself being married so what what was your vision of being married like well yeah like it was a little bit well not fun really and that it was very restrictive in well, what you get way? married and then you have kids and then you you know I just liked having my own <laughs> doing my own whatever I wanted to do so. <laughs> and, and being, uh, to be uh, uh, honest like blatantly honest I think it was the responsibility of it all mm. I didn't want you know at all you know mm. um to have to be with someone else and take care of kids and whatever it was just not at all what I wanted to do so yeah okay fair enough might just be because you know like we're we we don't do that whole independence thing very well Mm. Australia so maybe it took us longer to grow up yes yes Yes. but yeah I did get a lot of interesting dates out of it so yeah, lots of stories. You should write a book. I know you've told me that so many times. And you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I really should have written some of the stuff down because I'm forgetting it now. But yeah, just just how crazy some of it was. Uh, oh dear. Okay. Yeah. All right. So this story that I've got 
um, is from the ABC, mm. who's written on the 21st of September, and the title reads, Hawthorne Racism Review to allege that former coaches separated First Nations players from families and demanded a t- pregnancy termination. To be honest, when I read the title, I did not understand. Like, those words strung together, I, I did not understand what it meant. And then I started reading it, and it's horrifying, mm. like, genuinely. I'm just it's insane. But anyway, so the article says that the review document has been handed to the Hawthorne senior management two weeks ago and is now with the AFO integrity unit. But... Hawthorne had more than 20 First Nations players in the period of the review and three families involved told the ABC Sport about incidents in which club staff um, allegedly bullied and removed First Nations players from their homes and relocated them elsewhere, telling them to choose between their careers and their families. I mean... um, That's horrendous. And just just before moving on, I just think... mm -hmm maybe we can explain like because AFL is Australian Football League oh yes so it's the only form of football it's the only kind of football that's ever played in Australia as far as I know because it's not soccer it's not rugby but it seems like some sort of cross between the two it's massive obviously it's Australian Football League it's massive here and so that's it's, it's as I'd say it's as nearly as big as soccer I don't know if I'd absolutely say that with any certainty but it's nearly as big as soccer or what I call football in the UK, it's massive. And so it attracts, you know, like all those sporting things, it attracts young, young aspiring, mm. young aspiring men and women, mm. um, but in this instance, men, and they get paid, not all of them, but a handful of them get paid a lot, a lot of money. You become a superstar. And then when we talk about First Nations, we're talking about Indigenous Australians. Yeah. Who who have, I don't know, a predisposition for athleticism in some of these sports, like black people do yes. as well. Although that's why we're saying, why is there no black people swimming? We had that conversation. There should be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think it also makes it difficult for First Nations people because even though they have this amazing athleticism, it's hard to break in. Mm. It makes them maybe particularly more vulnerable to stuff like this because it's so, like, I totally to dream mm, exactly so yeah anyway the but the gravest accusation is related to the club's intimidation tactic tactics to separate couples in the early stages of pregnancy and parenthood and the alleged demand that one player should instruct his partner to terminate a pregnancy actions the family say created multi-generational trauma and it actually goes on to talk about, you know, different, three different, obviously, scenarios. And the first one involves um, a player by the name of Ian who, you know, his partner, Amy, had married, miscarried their first child. Um, so when they fell pregnant again, they were they were obviously super excited. And they waited the 12 weeks because of, you know, the previous incident. Um, but when he announced it, the club's reaction was immediate and, like, he says that far from sharing his joy, Ian alleges that the that a group of coaches, including Alastair Clarkson, Chris Fagan, ushered him into an office where he was urged to have the pregnancy terminated. 
um, get rid of his partner and move into a um, the home of an assistant coach. He goes on to say that it was so intimidating and confusing and upsetting. And Clarkson just leaned over me and demanded that I uh, needed to get rid of my unborn child and my partner. And I was then manipulated and convinced to remove my SIM card from my phone. So there was no further contact between my family and me. And they told me I'd be living with one of the other coaches <laughs> onwards. So um, he felt that he had no choice. He told me to kill my unborn baby. So I just remember that he could barely get the, oh, so then he ends up calling Amy, his partner, and telling her, like, you know, she says he barely could get the words out. Um, he quickly, he seemed to be crying, and he quickly said that we need to terminate the pregnancy and end the relationship. So, and it goes on to in detail about what Amy went through while they were separated. So they did physically separate them. She didn't have contact with him for months. Like it wasn't until the baby was born that they actually allowed him months after that, allowed him to come back home. Like it just, it just crazy when you think about it. And what's worse is obviously they fell pregnant again within six months of having this child. So the pressure then for both of them, and they were very traumatized by this, mm. was what are we going to do? They knew that the club would completely lose it if they had they had an idea. And so Amy actually ended up terminating that pregnancy. And she remembers, you know, going to the hospital and her mom actually saying, you know, you don't have to do this, but she felt like she had to do it. So she did. And it's like, she goes on to say that it's, it's something she still hasn't gotten over. So yeah, that's, that's, yeah, it's crazy. There is also um, another story, obviously, from Zach, who was another First Nations player. But basically, he felt because I had been drafted against the odds, I felt like I had to do everything right to succeed. But um, he could never have predicted the types of ob obstacles um, he would have to navigate at Hawthorne, nor that, that he would eventually feel manipulated into choosing his career over his family. Um, together for um, years by then, Zach and his partner Kylie were happiest unwinding at home, rarely candidates for partying or long drinking sessions. In his early years at Hawthorne, nobody at Hawthorne realised that Zach avoided these environments due to childhood triggers and it was not information Jack was e uh, Zach, sorry, Zach was eager to divulge. So he always felt like he was under the microscope mm. um, at Hawthorne. Um, so, yeah, it started when Jack, Zach was pulled into a meeting with Clarkson, Fagan and Jason Burt. Zach says that he was, um, he, he was told that Kylie was holding him back from progressing uh, his career and that he needed to end the relationship to fulfill his potential. For Zach, this triggered an emotional outpouring, feeling vulnerable and sobbing in front of his coaches. He says he revealed childhood traumas that had shaped him, um, shaped his uh, reserve and clean living persona. To this day, Zach feels ashamed and embarrassed that he had um, to justify the reasonable and well-intentioned in choices that he was making. But but they basically did the same thing to him that they did to um, mm. Ian. So. Yeah, I, I remember reading that and just thinking, because obviously they're denying, well, 
what they're saying is they didn't do any wrongdoing mm. or didn't break any mm. rules is what they're saying. So they're not necessarily denying those things. Mm. Um, I just thought, obviously, horrendous treatment of anybody, regardless of who they are. Yes. Horrendous. I don't even, I don't even, I'm trying to understand how they can justify. Yes. Basically saying your life doesn't matter. Yes. Because what the, what the, the, what was going on though is they, they were, all they cared about was winning, Mm. winning the competitions, winning, Mm. having, you know, the, the best players. And I'm sure all coaches want that. They want, they want to win. You've got to want that Mm. to make it happen, but not at at expense of the player. Oh, yeah. That's, I don't understand where they figured that that was more important. And that's, and that's what I'm hearing by the stories you're telling me. And I don't, and I don't, and then, you know, they're saying, oh, they're not, they're not admitting to doing anything wrong. That's all wrong. They can't, Mm. those people didn't make that stuff up. No. Um. intimidation and bullying are always wrong right even exactly. though it's hard to prove yeah because it's just influencing or you know saying that you're not going to do well or saying although there were direct you know you need to remove your sim from your phone but you know like it's still and the 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 pressure of it all makes mm. it all in line even more i think you i was know? trying because i read the story i think i read some of the stories similar on this topic mm. i was trying to understand where they're coming from mm. I mean, I like to play devil's advocate with this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, and the only thing I can liken it to or compare it to is like a parent with the children, you know, who want the best for their children. Mm-hmm. And so will force you very forcefully, um, I don't know, they might confiscate your phone. They don't want you going to parties. Mm-hmm. They want you to study because, you know, they want you to have a great future. That's the only thing I can compare it to, yeah. like the kind of, the, the caregiver mm. and because what I re- what I realized with this story was that they were very young they were like 18 19 yes. year olds they were exactly. really really young yeah. and the problem is I would I would say even if they weren't First Nations people mm. it would have been they would have been treated the same had they not been had they been mm. you know in relationships and having and getting pregnant and having children at that age mm. I, th- I think that that's well, probably the case because these these men doing these things only seem to only care about winning yeah um and then they think well why was it only the first nations people being treated this way because that's what makes yeah. it racism right yeah and then thinking well if you think about the other players at the same age from a different completely different culture yeah. and maybe even private schools educations yes. not not nowhere near the same level playing field Mm. so they're very unlikely to be in those situations and so that would be why maybe maybe I don't know Mm. there is no one that wasn't a First Nations player coming up with these type of accusations but then at the same time you know First Nations people it's like a dream come true Mm. it's a dream come true for anyone but to even get the get to that position, yeah, is like a hundred times harder than any of the other kid, the other exactly. guys being drafted in there. Yeah. So even get there, so you can see where they almost do anything. Yeah, the pressure must have been to to, to stay there. Yeah. Um, the gratitude they would have felt. Yeah. The privilege. 
to be there but then to be treated like that yeah. is just incredible well yeah it was almost like they weren't treated like they were human mm. you know because their needs and their families and whatever those concerns were completely secondary or not at all present um it's just unbelievable that you could get away with it because it was it's not like it happened yesterday is it exactly no it was years ago um, and you know some people some of the couples they they didn't make it through that whole you know ordeal you know some are together and they're dealing, trying to deal with it but others are not so it's yeah it's a terrible story it's awful um, if they've done it I think and I'm sure yeah I mean it sounds like they've done horrible things Things need to change. Like it just, it can't continue. If it, I'm sure, I'm assuming it's not the only club yes. of, that's done this kind of stuff. Yeah. 100%. Or even sporting. Mm. Yeah. Agency that's done it either. I just, I could not. I mean, I could imagine people trying to isolate them, maybe to stop them from partying to like worsen their career or something if you know because I imagine that's what they do but that's not really what they were doing like they weren't doing that at all like they were trying to separate them from their families and their I, I think I read in there there was they wanted to live in the especially when they had children and mm. um, live near their family so mm. for the support but they were in an area where they weren't yeah. in a good good area yes exactly so something were, about that yeah and I know one of them um, did move, like one of the partners moved to be closer to her, you know, um, and be supportive and things like that. And they made such a huge deal about her moving there. Like it wasn't really possible. Mm. Um, and they really couldn't rent in Melbourne anyway. So couldn't afford it. Well, they she, couldn't afford so it. The club should have been paying for it. Then, yeah. Really. So, um, yeah, no. That's, oh, it's just a disgrace. Yeah. You hear really things are. Disgrace. But for me, it's a disgrace because surely they're not the only people know about that going on. Like other yeah. players would have yeah. known. Yes. You know, there'd be so many other people aware of that kind yeah. of behavior. Mm. I just can't get over the fact that it's only coming out now. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, sh- they should be ashamed. Yeah, they should be ashamed. And I don't know how they could just blatantly deny it. Yeah. Like, I don't know if they're, they're choosing their words carefully by saying they deny any wrongdoing mm. versus thinking what they did wasn't wrong. Yeah. Or yeah. probably it probably wasn't wrong in the sense it didn't break any specific rules. Mm. I think that's what they're getting at legally. Mm. Then there needs to be rules. You shouldn't need rules to like to not yeah. to treat people that so inhumanely. You shouldn't yeah. need rules for that. I mean, that should be like we protect our players. That's what we do, right? Yeah. There should be policies around, you know, relationship, players in relationships and family life. And there should be like policies around that that apply to everyone, whether you're 18 or I don't know, I guess the lifespan of a player, I don't know what it is. Are they old by the time they get get to 30? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know when I generally, when are they having kids and getting married, these players? Exactly. I don't know. I mean, if they were, is it? Do they all get treated that way? I doubt it. Somehow. And that, and there was the other point there about the player that didn't want to go out and drinking with his buddies because it triggered him. 
Yeah. And them saying you need to, to build team morale. They need yeah. to find other ways for the players to get, build morale other than getting pissed. Exactly. In the bar. Surely there are other ways. I mean, we do it in a workplace all the time. It doesn't actually have to involve getting pissed all the time. Yeah, they need to find another way. It doesn't involve alcohol for sure. Yeah. I'm surely they can build a team without just... It just feels like they're so back... They're so prehistoric yeah. almost. Yeah. Very prehistoric. Oh, anyway, yes. Terrible story. Terrible. Oh. And yeah, that only broke recently and that's been investigated currently. Mm, yeah. And I hope it I hope it causes a change because that's just Yeah. Maybe maybe it starts a movement. Mm. I'm thinking not me too, something else. Yeah, I know. It needs to. I think it needs to reshape the game. Well, not even just that game, sports in general, because I hear it's pretty bad in sport. Yeah, no, I get I hear the same thing. Mm. I mean, I get that people are passionate about sport and you know, winning and whatever else. But you can't do that at the expense of people. Like, no. It's terrible. I don't even understand. Do you know what I don't understand, though? Mm. I, I, I can't imagine any of those players or that happened to them being successful players mm. because the mental the yeah. mental distress yeah. that that would have put them under, I don't yeah. see how they could have been peak performance. No. Or really, it completely contradicted what I guess they were trying to do yeah I just don't see how that would have worked yeah because I think the second story whichever one one of the women who was separated from her partner she had ended up having a miscarriage um, I imagine for all the stress because she was trying to contact him and nobody was letting her do it and she miscarried and he only found out by just the coach just mentioning it like on the field at one point, it's like, oh, by the way, she miscarried, but don't worry, she's fine. Like, I just, oh my God, to tell someone that, like that. I don't know. I just like, wouldn't do these men have families and kids themselves? Like, imagine they do. How would they feel if that happened to them? Exactly. Like, that's what I mean. It's like, it's, they only, they don't, they didn't view the players as human. Mm, and dehumanize them. Yeah, exactly. Because how else would you be able to treat someone like that, right? Yeah, I guess. I think it's like a thing in your head that you say, oh, no, they're different. You know? They're not like me. They're not like me, exactly. Mm. I'm sure they do have families or, and have ch- children and would be devastated if they had the same news. I guess all, all those kinds of behaviour, you have to dehumanise someone to be able to do that. Yeah. So, oh, anyway, awful story. Yeah. And that's why I wanted a nice story. Yes, exactly to go with that because that is awful what's the point of sharing that is really just highlighting Hmm. a systemic racism or racist behavior Hmm. and to me if that's against a particular race because it's you know first nations people but even if it was a different group of people it's dehumanizing people Hmm. which is just not not okay no matter what it shouldn't be happening it shouldn't be happening in this day and age. Exactly. Like it's, yeah. In this day and age, shouldn't be happening. Oh, shake it off. Shake it off. Exactly. Shake it off. It's awful. I hope, I, I mean, you know, we'd have to talk about the outcome of that when, when it, yeah. We, um, yeah. when we get to that place. I think it'll be months before 
Mm. And I think those families are entitled to compensation. Not that it's going to help. Not going to make up for any of the way they were treated at all. I think they're entitled to compensation. Yeah. Those men should never be working in those roles again. Yes. I don't see I don't see there's gonna be any criminal proceedings unless somebody take, you know, civil mm-hmm. courts. They should not be in those positions. They really shouldn't. Um and there needs to be some sort of reforms. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see what actually happens, shall we? Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's our stories. Mm-hmm. So before we go, I have the feature, what would you do? Oh, yes. <laughs> Where we share a scenario that highlights a form of bias. Mm-hmm. And we ask Mino, what would you do? Mm-hmm. So this is, a, again, a scenario. Most of these are workplace. I will, I will give you some others another time. But for now, we'll stick to the workplace kind of environment. So imagine mm-hmm. you, your manager, who is a man, often meets with men on his team for dinner or drinks, mm-hmm. you know, building the relationships, yeah? But rarely meets with the women outside of work. Mm. What would you do? Uh, I mean, it. I think it would be d- d- interesting if I was in, well, if, I, if these men were anywhere interesting, I'd be like, yeah, maybe I'd want to go. If they weren't, which is likely, I'd be like. <laughs> you don't know that. <laughs> hang out with them anyway. But um, I would ask him why he does that. You mm. know, like, why do you only take out the men? Like, yeah. what's, what's the go with, why doesn't yeah. everybody get invited? Yeah. yeah. That's a good good question. And then this is and I'd be just thinking, well, what if he says something like, um, oh, you know, Jackie, she's she's got kids at home. So I just assume she wouldn't want to she wouldn't have time. Yes. Actually, yeah. I mean, I, I reckon people say that all the time. Oh, they have to get home to the kids or whatever. It's mm. like, well, maybe they want a break from the kids. Why don't you just ask them? Just invite them out, and then they can say no. But what? But I've got a question though. It's interesting. What do you think could be the reasons that this manager would do that? Well, I mean, I've just given you one idea. But what? What could be other reasons? I would think that he would think that you know the women weren't worth developing, or you know, like their the relationship, his relationship with them, or their relationship with the team wasn't as important. Mm. for whatever reason maybe the men he he assumes that the men achieve more or are you know going to achieve more or going to end up being I don't know managers or something like that therefore it's important for him to keep that relationship going okay I wonder how much then that influences you know the promotions and the you know like opportunities within that workplace Mm. Mm. yeah I'm just trying to think of what possible ideas he has around that behavior but anyway Mm. this is what it says Mm. friendships at work are valuable we know that and actually I think in the age of uh, working from home Mm -hmm. there's nothing more obvious Mm. than this idea and concept of work of those connections you have and friendships you have in your workplace Mm. and how it's diminished by the working from home or it can be 
you mm. have to put a lot of things in place to maintain those that level of connection mm. um so important relationships relationship building information sharing mm-hmm. can happen over coffee or a pizza or drinks mm. and and but when people are routinely excluded from outings like these they can miss out and if it's a manager making arrangements, it's especially problematic. Part of their responsibility is to make sure the whole team has equal access to networking opportunities. Networking is critical, I think. And I'm thinking back to some of the, you know, some of the social things we did in mm-hmm. work. Yes. You, you talk, yes, you talk about your personal life, social things. You talk about work a lot as well. Mm. And you would sometimes get really good exchange of ideas, the problems and things like that. So it's really valuable. Mm. And and I take the point, I would actually take that point if a manager said, you know, Janet's married, she's got kids and she really and she and she's often expressed that she doesn't want to be out in the evenings. Mm. I, I I think that's perfectly reasonable for women and men to have that idea feeling about themselves that they may not want to be away from their family in the evening and I think that's okay then the manager needs to make another other opportunity yeah whether it's in the day whether it's lunch whether it's a breakfast whether it's on a weekend even though that might not be good either but needs to make other opportunities instead of so that people can be included yeah Actually, um, that's a really good point. It ties into what we were talking about earlier. Mm. There's not one way to to interact and build relationships, right? Exactly. You need to be more inclusive. And then we were talking about traditionally uh, around alcohol and dinner in the evenings because it's after work. But then you have to bring it into work mm. so that it can be more inclusive. Exactly. Mm. Um, what else does we say here? So this is your manager. So you have you have a standing to raise this with him. Say that you've noticed that he goes to drinks with men on the team more than the women and explain why it matters. You can also offer solutions if he's uncomfortable going to dinner with women. Suggest that he meet everyone for breakfast or lunch. Mm. And then why it happens, it's because men might feel more comfortable in the presence of men, some men. Yeah. That's that's one of them. And it's an affinity bias. It's the same with some women. Some women may only feel comfortable in the presence of other women as opposed to men. You know, it's not a one-way thing, but you can see how it's problematic in the workplace. Mm. Uh, and this, so we're, what we're highlighting here is affinity bias, where you're drawn to people like you mm. and less drawn to people that are different from you, whether that's because they're a different sex or whatever, different affinity bias is huge. And that's why you need to have, that's why it's really useful to have, you know, checklists when you're interviewing. Mm. Because what tends to happen is people just, oh, I like them. You like them. Yeah. Because there's something that you may, it might, it might be an affinity bias. Mm. Like the, you're kind of person, you're, you know, an affinity bias. So you need to have objective um, criteria that everybody follows when you're interviewing people because you can fall into that trap and it is a trap that we can all be guilty of in, in who we who we're friends with and if if you're affinity bias with who you're friends with fine you are limiting your you know you're limiting the abundance of your friendships but in the workplace this is how we end up with just white men in management mm. so you need to be a bit more aware and a bit more objective about it 
um, where am I reading here? So, you know, he may be nervous for other reasons. Some men are wary of spending time with women colleagues outside of work for fear of seeming inappropriate. And that's a, that's a reasonable fear as well. But again, more there's, there's solutions to that. So I think it's only in the conversation as, as to why. That's why I was asking you, why would somebody do that? Mm. Um, we didn't come up with the idea that some men might be uncomfortable with women. It being seen inappropriate. Yeah. You know, the old fashioned sense that you've got some sort of romantic agenda. Yeah. Um, mm. If you're hanging out with the opposite sex. Mm. So I feel, I feel that these are reasonable fears that we need to address rather than judge if people are open to having that conversation. It's a good point about the not judging. Yeah, because we don't know. You don't know unless you ask. So, you know, like we make assumptions, oh, it's because of this, it's because of that. Just ask. You just notice, like, innocently, like you're genuinely curious. I think it's easy. You can you can have that headspace or, you know, in your head, you're like, well, it could be this, it could be this. And they're probably things you're thinking are probably really bad things, like the worst possible things. Mm. Or it could be something else, but a benefit of the doubt. Mm. What, what, what would be the, ask? What, I, love, I love kids because they just ask questions. Yeah. Without yeah. thinking about any judgments. Yes. I love it. That's what the best thing. It's a, be a kid. Mm. Ask without judgment. And that, that's it. That's it. We just we just gave an example of affinity bias and what you can do about it. Awesome. There you go. Have you learned about any type of bias or did you already are you already aware of affinity bias? No, I was not aware of affinity bias actually. Makes sense. Mm. Um I was particularly interested that yeah, it might affect the interviews that you do. Absolutely. So yeah. Yeah. That's, that's why HR like I remember developing when I was working when I was interviewing people of the checklist of things that we wanted for this role mm. rightly or wrongly we wanted you know x y and z mm. and then assessing through the question the, the cv and the questioning whether that this person had them mm. and if there was a if I was getting and I'll be honest if I was getting a feeling as oh I don't know if I like this person I had to be very un- objective and ask myself well what were the reasons mm. and whether that it's good for the role or not because having different people is very good for a role. Like, you know me, I'm a um, very big picture, um, vision, broad, mm. and that can make me vague as well. And some people, and the, so the complete opposite of me, which would be people I don't gel as well with, would mm. be people that are so detailed, all the details, need to know all the details and give you all the details. Yes. Verbally as well. So... To me, that would be a different a different person. Mm. So I could easily easily be have affinity bias for people like me that can be visionary, easy, concise, um, summarize things really easily, and not given get to the point without giving all the detail. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But for this role, it might be more beneficial to have somebody that can really dig into the detail and mm. give the detail. So that's what I mean. That's just an example. Mm of making, being really clear on what you need for the role. You know, do you need somebody that's direct or do you need somebody that's so vague that can't get to the point? Or do you need somebody that's diplomatic or do you need somebody that's direct and is, uh, with respect? You know, you've got to think about what these things, the qualities you want 
and whether that candidates can give you that or that's what you need but anyway affinity bias interesting yes you've definitely given me something to think about Mm. so what are you doing before we wrap up what what have you got got on i haven't planned anything but i want to because i think it's a bit of a waste if i don't but i'm not sure what i want to do have you got any plans i am still i'm still celebrating my birthday it's it's the festival of tracy's birthday Awesome. Uh, <laughs> the whole month. Yes. So we'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you have as much fun with us today as we did. If what you heard resonated with you, don't forget to show the love and like our YouTube channel, All One with Tracy G. Give us a five-star rating on whichever podcast platform is lucky enough to have this episode because they rock too. Feel free to email us stories or questions at alloneinclusive at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter if updating yourself about everything which goes down sounds like something right up your alley at tracygandu.com. Until the next time, see ya!